Dear Richard, Michael and Jordan, I understand that you're interested in renewing your contract to rent the above property for another year. If we're able to reach an agreement, then this will be for a minimum of 12 months, starting from the 15th of August. Currently, you're paying a much reduced rate. If we were to advertise the property for rent, then we would be looking for 2,700 to 2,800 per month. However, if you wish to renew, then we would be able to offer the property to you for 2,400 per month. That was the email me and my housemates received this summer from the letting agents that manage the property we live in. It was read there by Patrick, one of my producers. And it meant our rent would be going up by 15%. When it first arrived in my inbox, I initially assumed that our estate agents were bullshitting. Of course, they couldn't put a small free-bed ex-council flat on the market for £2,800. Me and my housemates discussed trying to call their bluff, replying, saying, no, of course we're not going to accept a 15% rent hike. But then I looked on Rightmove, Zoopla and other property websites and figured they probably weren't just posturing. The cost of renting a flat really had gone through the roof since the end of the pandemic. So we bit our tongues, accepted the 15% hike and conversations ensued about how we could cut back on spending elsewhere. It was all a fairly depressing situation. But after the conversations I had for this episode, I'm incredibly glad we folded. That's because right now, the only thing worse than paying more to your landlord for an unchanged service is trying to find a new landlord and a new place to live. Renting in London really is hell right now. There are two routes to understanding the scale of the rental crisis in London. One is to look at statistics. And on that front, I could tell you that, according to Foxton's, rents in the city are up 22% compared to the same time last year. As a consequence, research by Shelter shows that two in five private renters in the capital are currently spending more than half of their incomes on rent. That's only slightly worse than the rest of the country, where the figure is one in three. But statistics only get you so far. And so to begin this episode, I wanted to speak to someone about their personal experience at the coalface of London's rental nightmare. Anna Oppenheim is in her late 20s and works in Parliament. She and her housemates had to start looking for a home in June when they got an email mid-contract saying their landlord wished to sell what was then their home. We join Anna's story a few weeks into her search after she and her housemates had received a string of rejections to even view those properties which they deemed desirable and at least relatively affordable. Then, yeah, we started looking for like more and more, you know, rather than picking our favorites, we were just like, you know, expanding like, okay, so if not this area, maybe that area, maybe further away, um, looking at places that were like a bit more expensive, a bit less nice, um, basically like similar situation, right? Like leave your contact details, tell me about yourselves, we'll get back to you. Um, we managed to get some viewings. So something that was popular this summer was the formula of open viewings, where you know there's a two-hour slot or whatever, where the landlord is there, tenants come in, kind of present themselves, see the property, and then the landlord basically picks who they like. So who's so the presenting themselves? That's the the yeah. viewers presenting themselves, not the landlord presenting yeah, themselves. Yeah, so you're there, yeah. sort of a a beauty contest that the landlord yeah, chooses it to... it felt like some kind of weird job application situation, job interview, where, yeah, sometimes, you know, like 20 different groups see a single property. 
And I've heard people speak to landlords like, oh, my name is the same as the name of the road. Please remember me. Just that kind of thing. Wow. And then after that, you have to like fill an application form. Um, it became standard for people to, you know, for essays to just like there's a lot of interest in this property. Um, you should offer probably a bit higher than listed. And, and we started doing that. We started offering 100, 200 more for the property than it was monthly. Um, then sometimes we heard, well, there was someone who offered 500 more. So we gave it to them. And this is per month for the whole flat, 500 yeah. more. And this is, can I ask actually, what, what, what was your price range? You, you, you were looking, there's two of you, right? You were looking for a two bedroom. Well, it was, it was meant to be three of us, actually. So it was four of us living together. One of us decided to leave London. So it was three of us. We considered keep another person so making it four we considered joining other groups making it six but like our kind of ideal scenario was three um we were initially we kind of you know with bills going up we were thinking like six six fifty per person but then we started raising our budget to like seven per person seven fifty per person um obviously some of us playing slightly more some of us slightly less um so yeah that was just kind of increasing with every couple of weeks of searching yeah, and then, you know, by the sort of second month of the search, we were just kind of basically like felt like a full time job, even though we we're all in employment. We would spend like hours every day looking through all the estate agents websites, doing a short list of anything like remotely suitable, setting up alarm clocks for when different estate agents open, calling first thing in the morning, being told where number like 28 in the queue. Um, please leave your details and get back to you. And that just became like a weird routine that was staying up our lives. And uh, when we got viewings, it was offer, often also like during work time. So, oh, you know, Wednesday afternoon, someone needs to be available. So we had to kind of like manage our working lives to make sure. Because if you miss if you miss the viewing, someone else gets the flat, essentially. Yeah, basically, one of the other like 20 groups that applied for it. Um, sometimes we were asked to like write sort of like a cover letter explaining like why we're the best fit for the property and like why we like the area and how we'll take care of it. So that was another do you, thing. Do you have to, so, you know, when you write a cover letter for a CV, you always have to sort of say, oh, I would really love to work in this particular business because I've always been passionate about working in HR and the, you know, fabric industry. So you sort of have to make yeah. up these various enthusiasms you have. Did you have to sort of pick out quirks in the building? Or? Like literally, a couple of people have asked us to do that, to be like, oh, really? oh you know, we, we like this area because it's like within half an hour commute and our friends live here and like we like the cultural offer of the area and we also like take good care of the garden and here's like all the reasons why we want this specific property which is very bizarre because like fundamentally you want a place to live <laughs> yeah and this is all to get the right to pay a landlord an extortionate yeah. amount of money every yeah, month exactly. and have no rights and he can still kick you out in two months if he wants to right so there's, there's no commitment on the part of the landlord that's to, to pros so just to be able to give someone like 40 percent of our income what was the attitude what was the atmosphere between um, you and the other people looking around a flat on these open viewings? Was there a sort of competitive spirit where you sort of eyeing each other up and sort of uh, saying, oh, I'm definitely more, more, I'd be a better tenant than this person over there? I think no, I think we like normally just try not to acknowledge each other. Obviously there was, there was a bit of that. So I, like, you know, whenever I went to a viewing, there was a bit of like, okay, how many groups are here? Like, what could these people actually offer? Okay, that's a family, so maybe the landlord prefers a family. Obviously you think those things, but um, yeah, we basically didn't interact very much. And so how many, you said you, you, there were a bunch of situations where you ended up sort of offering more than the, the listed price because that's what the estate yeah. agent told you to do. How, how many offers did you put down before you finally were accepted for? Oh God, like at least dozens. Like Really? Yeah, dozens? Yeah, like, like absolutely lost count. It was like, you know, 
whether they were even accepting offers in the first place, because often they weren't, it was like like a few a day for like, well, at least at least a full month of like spending hours a day on this, literally. <laughs> and it just felt so futile, you know, like making those, you know, some sometimes you just make like one or two phone calls a day because there's like literally nothing new on other websites. Sometimes you end up making 10 phone calls a day, uh, also during work hours. Um, and yeah, it was like absolutely endless, so very futile hardly anything coming back and uh and it was also strange because i didn't see that like anywhere in the media i saw some people like tweet about it i saw some tiktoks which made me feel a bit more normal because otherwise i was like wondering like i've, I've been in London for 10 years i've rented like loads of properties right it's never been like that like what are we doing wrong like what's what is happening here that like literally no one wants to take our money i mean the idea that you would bid above the listed price whenever i've sort of been looking around at flats you sort of say oh, i think we could probably get away with offering them 50 pound less but the idea that you'd have to offer them more i mean how did you feel about offering them more i mean obviously i understand that that's what everyone had to do but you're competing with other potential tenants like you're, you're like who can jump the highest for the landlord is essentially what's going on right yeah yeah no it felt like quite degrading and also I love these places that were just not that nice in the first place. It was not something like, okay, we're, we're excited, so we'll give some, something slightly more. No, it was like, well, we need somewhere to live. That's an acceptable place. That's like just about livable. We're offering more, more than we currently pay, more than a place is worth. Yeah, it was, it was honestly exhausting. Um, and yeah, also as I'm saying, like a lot of places we saw were not very nice. And in general, we were like very open to like anything. Whereas some places where you like drew a line, if, if a place had like no living room, zero storage sp space, you know, places are definitely meant for like two people, but like had a bed put in somewhere, squeezed in in the kitchen, the corridor, pretending to be a third bedroom, then we had to be like, okay, maybe not this one. So I've heard horror stories of people having to put down deposits to view flats. I found it almost difficult to believe, but did you ever get asked to put down a deposit to view a flat? Yeah, I and mean, we did that a few times, actually. What does yeah. that mean? How, 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 what's the, what size is this deposit? Well, the highest we got asked was a grand just to like view a property. To view a property. And th then we said no. But that was like early in the search. Um, I think probably like after like four weeks, I would have probably just like said yes and be like, okay, here's a grand. Let's, wow. let's see it. And then if you... And then if you, if you get rejected, then you get it back. But what, but, but what if you just don't want it? So if you, if you give them a grand to view it and no, then you say, I don't like it. They keep it. They keep That's it. That's the rules, yeah. But yeah, we did wow. we did pay in like four hundred, four fifty uh to view a property. And 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 that deposit so you were risking it each time. Yeah. So if you went to that flat and you said, actually this flat's appalling, it smells of damp, you know, like it's you know, it's gross, whatever. If you were then to say we don't want this flat, they would keep the four hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. That was the rules. That is phenomenal. How many times did you do that? How many how many deposits did you have to pay uh, during this period? I don't know, like a, like a handful of times in general. Like it's it wasn't the most common thing, but yeah, like like a few times we did. Yeah. Where were you living through all of this? You were living in your your previous flat yeah. throughout this whole process. So because we got this like one month extension for medical reasons, we kind of had three months for a search. So for most of the time, I was like living in my old place. But then we ended up sofa surfing for an entire month and like kind of relying on friends who have spare rooms or, you know, a sofa bed somewhere. Um, and presumably so, yeah. you're getting more desperate as this is 
going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More willing yeah. to pay, as you say, more willing to pay high deposits to view. I'm still blown away by that, I have to say. It's still paying high deposits to view a flat. Yeah. Wow. And uh, did you, I, I've also spoken to people who sort of had long Zoom interviews with landlords where they asked all sorts of odd questions. I wonder, did, did you have any interviews with landlords? Oh, yeah, we had Zoom meetings with landlords like once or twice. So it was sort of like presented as like, oh, both sides, you know, it's a Zoom viewing. So like you find out about me, I find out about you, that kind of situation. So, yeah, we did that a few times. But like the most common thing is not even getting a viewing. Having to like, yeah, go through an application process. Sometimes they even like ask for like guarantors before the viewing. It's like, God, we're you know, I'm in my late 20s. Why should I like ask my parents if I'm able to rent? But like, you know, that was a thing. So we sell the documents. Um, yeah, we had like, uh, you know, our applications ready. We had like various versions of kind of cover letters we would like send as soon as possible. But like the most common response was like, sorry, letter already agreed, no viewings. Have you ever, has it ever been this hard to get a job? I mean, how does it compare getting a job <laughs> to getting a flat in London at the moment? In terms of hours, I don't think I've ever, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've never put this many hours into a job search. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Sometimes I've spent a couple of months trying to find a job, but not this many hours every single day. And, uh, you know, if, if you're applying for a job, you're expecting to be paid, not to like get to be giving someone like all your money, you're, right? You're, you're <laughs> applying to give someone a really stable source of income. Yeah, yeah. And like, so, also like some of the places that are being advertised are like extremely bizarre. I'll never forget this like one property that had a toilet in the study room. And there was there was a desk, a chair, and a toilet in one room, like a prison cell. And was that you didn't put an offer on that one? <laughs> it said let agreed. <laughs> and how were how were your interactions with estate agents in this period? Were they sort of apologetic? They're like, sorry, yeah, this, the situation we know it's mad. This is it, it's never been like this before, but this is the situation we're in. Did they ever explain why it was like this? Why they were making so many hoops? What sort of sense did you get of that from them? No, like most of the conversations I had were just quite like robotic and scripted. Okay, so give me this information, that information, that information, we'll get back to you or or whatever. So uh, there were a few people who did acknowledge like, oh, yeah, it's a very hard time to find, but, you know, without any like advice or explanation. So a few people who are a bit more sympathetic and a lot of people who are just like, you know, clear, clearly have like, I don't know, how however many phone calls like this a day where they have to tell everyone like sorry you're number 30 in the queue yeah they're like of course you have to pay a deposit to see a flat have you never done that before (laughs) yeah yeah you're just just leaves you like begging for a place to live like it's yeah yeah it's horrible but also like you know we're we're young we're employed we don't have any children um we're able to like live like together or separately we're in a very like comfortable flexible situation but like so many people don't have that luck like what if we were a family with children working full-time like what would we do i don't know that was anna oppenheim who did eventually find somewhere decent to live but only by another stroke of luck that's because after months of her search she discovered that a friend of hers who owned a flat was leaving the country and so she and one of her previous flatmates were offered the chance to move in If it wasn't for that, she thinks she could well still be couch surfing with friends, getting ever more desperate for a home and jumping through ever more ludicrous hoops to try and secure an offer. It's also worth emphasising this would all have been to get a tenancy agreement where a landlord could kick you out with two months notice and you'd have to start the process all over again. It's a situation I think few would try to justify. But what explains it? 
We'll be searching for the answer to that question in one moment. First, though, a message about the show. I'm really excited about how the first series of Crash Course is shaping up. I've spoken to brilliant experts, inspirational activists and tenants on the front line of Britain's housing crisis. And in doing so, I think I'm personally getting a real handle on the roots of what's going wrong with renting in Britain and how to fix it. I hope you are too. I've also learned that making a whole new podcast can be pretty resource intensive. I've already drawn upon the talents of lots of good people who've worked and continue to work really hard to bring this all together. And building up a solid base of patrons will be essential both to cover the upfront costs of this series and to make the project sustainable into the long term. We all love making this podcast and we have big plans for the future in the pipeline, a series about whether COVID changed the world, the politics of China and trade unionism. But to make this possible, we need your support to do so. You can sign up for as little as £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. In doing so, you'll be helping to guarantee the future of the show and you'll also get access to at least two shows a month which are for patrons only. That's patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. Thank you. We really do appreciate it. So what explains the current near impossibility of finding a flat in London? Well, a group of people with better knowledge of the rental market than most are the estate agents that house seekers like Anna are having to spend so many hours on the phone to. One of them is Joshua Helliwell. He runs the company Helliwell & Co. in Ealing. And I asked him how, from his perspective, this year compares to previous ones. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's awful, uh, I suppose, um, what we're seeing. But, um, I mean, it's business is good in the sense we can let properties within a matter of, of hours. Um, but it's it's really the, the demand uh, for, for property that there's not enough supply uh, at all for, for the demand. So the, the demand outweighs the supply naturally at the moment. And it is extremely competitive for, for tenants. Um, but unfortunately, landlords have the pick of the bunch. So if a tenant is perhaps not earning the same as another or is a student or recently relocated from overseas, they're, they're less favourable than perhaps a, a, a tenant who's got good financial history and, and a strong income. I, I suppose, I mean, when we upload a property, we are inundated with inquiries. It's, it's almost unmanageable. We're getting like 50, 70 inquiries for one property that day. And we can only do so much. We can only speak to so many people. So I suppose prospective tenants are looking at us feeling we're not doing our job perhaps at times because it's just unmanageable and only one person can rent that property so it's hard you're getting multiple offers and it's 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 really ultimately up to the landlord you have to present every offer to the landlord to consider um but it's 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 challenging dealing with probably more complaints now than ever and you've said you've said the issue is is supply isn't meeting meeting demand um Compared to say last year, so it, obviously there's there's been a, a rental crisis in London for a very long time, but it does seem to have intensified, especially in the past twelve months. What's your impression of which of those is more to blame here? Is it more that supply has has fallen or demand has increased? I would say both, really. Um, I think the demand has naturally increased because the world has sort of come back to its rhythm post COVID. Uh, people coming back into London want to live here again. There was a lot of tenants vacating and. and people selling up and moving out of London um, during that COVID and pandemic. But now they're all coming back and, and things are back up and running. So that's one element. 
then changes on on so many levels of, of tax and and what it what it means to be a landlord now and expenses to be a landlord that landlords are just selling up their properties. The stamp duty had an impact, so there was more people owning properties. So there just is is less uh, stock available to to let out as a whole. There's so many elements really, but I, I would say the demand definitely has has crept up. I mean, it's as I say, like seventy to hundred inquiries for one property that day is just um, it's, it's it's ridiculous really. And on the supply side, could you quantify that at all for me? So are you are you finding you have fewer properties to let this year than you did last year? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we used to have, when I first started the business, we'd have, I don't know, like 50, 60 properties to rent at one time. Uh, we were doing very well um, with, with that in mind. And now probably about 10, I would say, one six um, of a similar stock level. And they come and go quickly. Rent increases have, have had a, a big impact as well. Um, landlords are looking to remarket their property and achieve a, a much higher amount. Um, so naturally, tenants are staying put because the fear is, one, they won't find a property, and two, uh, it will cost a lot more. So they're just trying to negotiate maybe a minimal increase uh, with their landlords and, and, and stay put. So therefore, that cycle of those available properties is, is not necessarily coming up as often. And in terms of people looking for homes, I've heard some pretty, some horror stories really about what people are asked to do. So that goes up to and includes people being asked for deposits or holding fees or whatever you want to call it, just to view a house. So I spoke mm-hmm. to someone who was asked for a thousand pounds deposit to view a house. And then if they were offered the house, but didn't want it, um, I'm not sure if it's a landlord or the estate agent, but someone would keep it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get it back. So are you aware of those practices going on in the we, industry? We, we've heard stories. I mean, it's not something that we, we practice whatsoever. Uh, I mean, sometimes when tenants inquire, they say, OK, how much do I need to pay to view the property? And it was, well, it's free. I mean, we're, we're here to show you. If, you. if you like it, then then we can talk you through the finances thereafter. Um, but that is certainly happening out there. Unfortunately, in these times when there's desperation from a tenant's point of view, I'm sure there are agents which are exploiting the situation um i have heard but it's not something we're we're accustomed to (laughs) myself anyway landlords who are increasing rents at this moment in time Mm -hmm. to what extent is that then passing on new costs which they are subject to or is this more the case of them just sort of exploiting the market and they they know that they can get this price so they will charge charge that price or are these people passing on costs i I think there's definitely it's it's 50 50 i mean there are costs which they're passing on their own individual expenses have have crept up and 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 household expenses i mean there there are even developments which perhaps include hot water or heating so their service charges have crept up significantly so naturally they have to to work out where they'll, they'll find this uh, additional amount each month and and unfortunately that's passed on to the tenant in in the rent they pay so um that, that's one ele- element but of course landlords will will look at a market and if they can charge more uh the majority will will increase rents as you can tell joshua heliwell frames rent increases as principally a function of changes to supply and demand with landlords protecting their profits and pursuing their interests But in a conversation I had with a different estate agent who, unlike Joshua, wanted to remain anonymous, I was told that their industry also bears a considerable amount of blame for pushing up prices. This person told me that estate agents were responding to the competitive market by cold-calling landlords and telling them they should be upping their rents. This, I was told, was a key way that agents would acquire new clients. They say to landlords, come with us. Sign up to our company. 
and we can get you bigger profits than you're currently making. Existing or potential tenants are then just collateral damage. I put that charge to Joshua. Certainly that, that happens on a, on a daily basis throughout the industry. Um, I think, I mean, from my perspective, it's all about our service and our experience. And that's why you choose to use my, my company. Um, but there are agents which will tell you, tell landlords what they want to hear. And ultimately, when you're a landlord, um, the, the, the main aspect is how much rent can I get for that property? That's my income. Can I maximize it? How much is this agent charging me? How much can I charge a tenant? Uh, and, and they make an informed decision from there. But um, yeah, unfortunately, that does happen. It's a com- very, very competitive industry. So some estate agents do actively work against the interests of tenants. But ultimately, the industry is probably a bit of a sideshow when it comes to the extent of the acute crisis renters are facing this year. The immediate crunch in London instead seems principally to be caused by a perfect storm of a sharp rebound in demand for rental properties after the pandemic and a radically decreased supply. These shifts then interact with the deregulated system outlined in the first episode of this series, allowing landlords to exploit the situation to their full advantage. Renters are left to suffer. And it's shifts in the supply side of the rental market that seem particularly important here. On that front, Joshua is not alone in having vastly fewer properties to let than in previous years. The website Zoopla reports that across the capital, there are 48% less rental properties coming on the market than a year ago. And that kind of change is bound to have an extreme effect. And as for the cause of that decreased supply, well, Joshua mentioned changes to how we tax landlords and existing tenants moving less often. But there's another shift which took place over the course of the pandemic which we need to grasp if we are to fully understand the scale of the recent drop in the supply of rental homes. Soaring house prices. Duncan Weldon is an economist who writes the value-added substack. The rise in house prices over the course of the pandemic was, to use a technical term, ridiculous. Um, It varied across the country, but we're talking 20 to 40% in some geography price increases. You know, Britain goes into lockdown um, and the housing market takes off. I mean, it it took economists completely by surprise at first. And and why was that exactly? Why did house prices rocket during the pandemic when, I mean, people were fearing potentially a a crash? So what um, estate agents with very good news sense dubbed this move was the race for space. So people suddenly found themselves locked in their house and they thought, you know, if I'm going to be locked in my house again, if I possibly can have a a bigger personal prison to be locked in, I will do that. So we saw over the course of the pandemic, um, basically, the, the bigger the house, the more space, the faster the price rise. And having a garden in particular was really helpful. So I think, you know, people... So found themselves trapped in their house. They, you know, in they, they stepped back. They reassessed their housing need, and if they could move to somewhere bigger, if they could afford that, they did it. And adding to that as well was, you know, we had millions of people, about ten million people at peak, working from home. Um, people who were going to be working from home more decided maybe they could move further away from their office, buy somewhere bigger, and this just sort of, you know, kickstarted a move in the in the housing market. And then the government went and cut stamp duty, um, which, you know, added sort of further fuel to the fire. So we just had this this colossal move in house prices in the space of about two years. 
And would that, from an economist's perspective, encourage landlords to sell? I mean, it doesn't seem like, like rocket science, but the asset they own is going up in value. They say, OK, now's the time to get out the market to cash out. I think that's exactly what happens. You know, if you were a landlord back in the summer of 2020, going into 2021, you know, it was unclear how many people were going to hang around in cities. You know, in the end, not as many people have moved out as, as it looked like. But we had time when lots of um, lots of immigrants chose to, to leave Britain. Lots of students went back to their parents. Lots of people moved out. You know, the rental market slowed. You had high vacancy rates. So if you're a landlord, you're saying, okay, I've got high vacancy rates at the moment. I don't know what the future is going to look like. And look, property prices have soared. Now seems like a good time to cash out. And that, that really seems to have been what's happened. So, during the pandemic, there developed a premium on space. Those who had the cash to buy a bigger property did so. That pushed up the price of houses. And landlords, who at the height of the lockdown faced a depressed demand from renters, decided to sell up. What we face now is the consequence of that. With society now reopened, the demographics who rent, perhaps younger and poorer, have returned to big cities. But the rental houses they might have lived in instead have been sold. More space for the wealthy, more cash for those with property to sell, and extortionate rents for everyone else. That's the legacy of COVID-19 in England's capital. So, I think the contributions of my free guests have got us quite far in explaining how, by the summer of 2022, renting in London had become near impossible for anyone without bags of cash to throw at landlords. But going into 2023, might the economy present a new and different set of hurdles for renters? Most relevant here are changes to interest rates. During the pandemic, interest rates are at historic lows, and that helped boost house prices, encouraging landlords to sell. But now, thanks to a war in Ukraine and a disastrous mini-budget, interest rates are instead soaring. One effect of that could be to bring down house prices, but it could also raise the mortgage costs of existing buy-to-let landlords. And you don't need to be a genius to work out who they'll try to pass that cost onto. Duncan Weldon again. You know, the big picture of the last 15 years or so has been that interest rates have been just about as low as they've ever been. And, you know, that's meant having a mortgage, whether you're an owner-occupier or you're a buy-to-let landlord, has effectively never been cheaper. And, you know, we've seen this big divergence in housing costs between renters and owner-occupiers. So I think, you know, typical renter in England is spending about 30% of their income on rent. Um, Typical mortgage owner, mortgage holder, spending more like 18%. A a, a big difference. Now, obviously, as um, interest rates rise... You know, if you're a buy-to-let landlord with a mortgage, you're going to try and pass that on as much as you possibly can. Um, and, you know, we're seeing really quite, you know, historically, they're not big moves in interest rates. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about interest rates going to something like four and a half, five percent by next summer is the, is the best guess of investors and um, economists. And that's just where interest rates were in 2006, 2007, sort of return to more normal levels. The difference, of course, is that house prices are much, much higher than they were in 2006, 2007. So it's not, you know, 5% on £150,000, it's 5% on three or £400,000, even for, you know, a flat in London. So, you know, so although the level of interest rates isn't expected to be 
you know, especially high historically, the burden of servicing that debt is much higher than we're used to. And if you're a bike let landlord, you will try and get as much of that passed on to your tenants as you can. And what determines whether or not a landlord is going to be able to pass on that cost to their tenants? Because, I mean, you know, rents aren't set in the first place by the mortgage costs of landlords, as far as I understand it. I mean, you've got lots of landlords who don't have a mortgage at all and rents are just as just as high so what determines whether or not that can be passed on yeah so you you would i would not expect a pass-through of one-to-one because there's all sorts of things that stop it for a start you've got lots of um, landlords who are not mortgaged and so don't have that same pressure now if you know if price if rents are going up in general obviously even if they don't have a mortgage they will generally try and put their rent up to stay you know take some more cash um so, the, um, but because not all landlords have um, a mortgage, because they're not all under the same pressure to increase rents quite that high, you won't get the full pass through. And more importantly, I think, you start to really seriously bump up against the ability of tenants to pay. There is a limit that they can't push rents beyond. We don't know where that limit is. I think we're sort of stumbling towards finding it in London at the moment. Um, but there is a limit. And you know, the fear for mortgaged landlords will be that we hit that limit and interest rates keep going up to the point that you know it no longer makes sense for them to be at all in this um this market and could there also be a well i mean can i call this good news for renters i suppose if if one of the problems in terms of you know landlords leaving the market and um selling their property to owner occupiers who you know good for them uh, but it does mean that people with less money are going to find it harder to rent a place if the rise in interest rates causes a crash in property prices could that be, you know, is the opposite of our previous story that that would be good news for, for renters? I think it would be really good news for renters, for the economy as a whole, if house prices were lower. It would, ju- it would just be good news in many different ways. How you get there matters, though. You know, I'd like to see house prices fall via, you know, us increasing the supply of housing of different types of housing to the point we don't have this silly imbalance between supply and demand and, and rents come down. I think getting there via a messy you know, 30 or 40% drop in house prices. Yeah, okay, that's going to make it, make housing more affordable for people. But sort of the knock-on impact of that across the economy as bank lending is pulled back, as, you know, people lose their jobs, as people have their houses repossessed, it it probably means a nasty recession. And, you know, I'd rather not have to pay the price of a nasty recession to get affordable housing. That was Duncan Weldon, economist and author of The Value Added Substack. Duncan and I went on to have a much longer conversation about the issue of housing supply and the politics surrounding that contentious issue. That will be released as a bonus interview next week for Patreon subscribers. So if you want to hear that and get access to more exclusive interviews, head over to patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. For now, I want to end with a couple of reflections because there's a narrative running through this episode which I can't help but find depressing. We've heard how, when interest rates were low and house prices rose, that meant landlords cashed out, left the market, and so rents for us went up. We then heard how, now, with interest rates rising and the housing market looking shaky, landlords will try and push those costs onto their tenants. And this very much sounds like a situation where, if you are a renter, it's heads, they win, tails, you lose. Whatever happens, we seem screwed. And I'm sorry to tell you, that's a theme that might continue to reappear throughout this series. Because a key consequence of the deregulated private rental market we have in Britain is that renters don't get to benefit from the economic good times, 
Yet we do suffer from the bad. When the economy is booming, our rents rise and our landlords make growing profits. When the economy tanks, our landlords' pocketbooks might suffer, but we will suffer too. The only upside, and there is one, is that it doesn't need to be this way. Later in the series, we'll be looking at housing systems which don't put tenants in this miserable bind. I promise I'm not just here to get you down. For now, thank you to my guests on this episode. They were Anna Oppenheim, Joshua Helliwell and Duncan Weldon. Crash Course is produced and edited by Lewis Bassett and Patrick Herdman. Patrick Herdman does the sound design. Until next time, I've been Michael Walker and you've been listening to Crash Course.